Welcome to Like Flint Radio. This is GK and it's been some time since I've recorded for Like Flint Radio. Like a lot of us, I've had a lot going on, including making the long trek from the north to the deep south. So I'm now coming to you from our new Tasmanian studio. In this episode, I'm talking to Pastor Dave about living under empire-like conditions, which some of us would now consider the case to be. The basis for our discussion is the first book of Peter, written during the time of Nero to believers in Asia Minor, within which... Peter advises them as to how they should live their lives in the empire. We're going to discuss the position of Christians today, giving some current examples, and then go on to discuss what we can learn from Peter. That is, how do we respond as believers living in the empire? I will remind you that the views expressed in this podcast are those of the host and his guests, unless others are quoted. Alright, now, let's get to the show. Right, well, welcome to Like Flint Radio. It has been some time, but as usual, I'm your host, GK, and I'm coming to you live from my studio in the depths of Tasmania, and uh, I have a very special guest with me live in the studio today. Dave, would you like to come on and tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, GK. Great to be here with you in your little studio. Yes, uh, I'm just an average sort of guy. I'm a pastor at my local church. There's about 150 of us in the church community, all sorts of people, all sorts of backgrounds. I have a family of my own, a few teenagers, and just an ordinary guy. Pleased to be here. All right, well, thanks for coming in. Now, um, the, the topic we're going to talk today, just roughly, uh, we're going to call this about living in the empire. And some people might have an idea what we're on about, but others won't. So can you give us just a brief idea of what we mean when we say about this idea of empire? Well, we're not talking about Star Wars, sorry, for all the Star Wars fans. We're talking about Empire because in our church a few months ago, we sat down and we thought, what are we going to teach about from the Bible? And we had this idea we wanted to teach from the letter of 1 Peter, a letter that Peter wrote back in the days of the Roman Empire. So we're talking about that idea. And in those days, for those people living in the Empire, they actually lived in a real Empire, the Roman Empire. So that, for them, that's what it meant. Uh, But when we looked at 1 Peter and we realised what Peter said to these people who were living in the empire, we realised there was a great deal of similarity to uh, how we live and the and the reality we live in. That there were some empire-like qualities to our um, reality as well. So we're talking about living in a worldview in a system and how to live as Christians in that in the sort of that sort of system and reality that we live in today. Okay. All right. So that's that's the the, the brief background. Um, so. Let's go back to the start for Peter, right? Yeah. What was what was life like for you know the Christians in that era? Um, uh, obviously under Nero, and he he has the reputation of um, not being too um, kindly towards yeah towards Christians. Yeah. So Peter was writing in the early eighties, sixties. He was probably in Rome towards the end of his life, um, but right. the people he was writing to in modern day Turkey 
or Asia Minor in those days, and they were living under the Roman Empire, but they weren't necessarily, the Christians weren't necessarily under harsh physical persecution just for their faith. Okay. The reality was that because they had become Christian and taken Jesus as their Lord, they changed some of their normal behavior that was normal in their society. So being associated with the name of Jesus in those days didn't really make a person popular with their neighbors or friends or family. And these new Christians kind of rubbed against the grain of normal life. They didn't do the same things everyone else did. And some of the way they lived was seen as offensive or antisocial or even subversive to the normal way of life. So the Christians there were facing ridicule, insult, social and financial pressure to return to the everyday idolatrous practices that were considered normal in that right. practice. You know, yeah. I've read some stuff before about just how deeply ingrained the worship of idols and the and the keeping the gods happy and all that was to normal life. And if you upset the equilibrium, then there was pressure to conform because nobody wanted to upset the gods or upset the status quo or get um, offside with the authorities. So the Christians were under pressure and they were being shamed and ridiculed and sometimes physical intimidation. They were being shut out of sort of like the trade guilds if they were working oh, wow. because they didn't fit in. Right. And so they're under pressure. And so Peter writes to them from Rome to encourage them to not give up, not quit, and to give them some practical advice to how to live in, their, in the empire, in that reality that they're facing. Right. And so... Um... Having, having said that, are you, are you sort of drawing similarities? I'm not saying it's exactly the same, but to where Christians might be today. Is that what we're looking at here? Yeah, well, I think well, how we came to see it and how I came to view it was we don't obviously live under an authoritarian Roman Empire type thing, mm-hmm. thankfully. Yeah. But yeah, if one of the things I said all along was if... An empire is characterized by kind of an all-encompassing worldview or system which kind of demands allegiance from you mm. and from its citizens and it kind of persecutes or shames dissenting views. Mm. Then the truth is I think there's elements of our society that have become increasingly empire-like. Right. Got it. Let, let me jump in here. Um, I want to um, talk about... Let's, let's look at 1,800 years of um, uh, Western... Uh, history and culture in about two minutes, right? I'm going gonna, gonna to do it. Go for it. Right. <laughs> okay, so if you go back to um, this, this era, you have this era of, say, Christians uh, being persecuted. And then um, when Constantine comes, uh, becomes emperor, he, with the Edict of Milan, how's that one for you? 313, Dave, off the top of my head. It's not, it's right here in my notes. Impressive. <laughs> but he comes in and with this Edict of Milan... Christians are then tolerated, right? So then you move ahead another, well, several hundred years where you, you start to get um, Christianity becomes the state religion. Now, if you go go ahead quite a few hundred years, you, you look at the European states and nations where Christianity becomes the state religion. Now, you might be listening to this and saying, well, wow, that sounds so outdated. There's no longer um, countries there that have a state religion. Well, I looked this up just yesterday. There's 43 countries still um, going today, 43 nations who have a uh, state religion. Now, the majority of those are in the Middle East uh, and in North Africa, uh, and obviously they'd be Muslim nations, but there's, uh, I think there's about nine where Christianity is still the state religion. So I want to draw, I want to give an example here. Now, GK, my, my audience, audience knows I'm famous for this one. 
I want to give a extreme example to make a point here. Uh, and um, so I want to talk about the second last heretic who... I'm laughing myself here, Dave, because you've got that look on your face. How do we get to heretics? But oh, I want to <laughs> talk the second last heretic that was burned at the stake in England, right? And I'm going to make my point with this. So we've got this guy. It's uh, We're under the reign of King James uh, the first. It's 1612. It's the, the second last guy. And um, his name's Bartholomew Leggett. And um, he preached against the established rituals of the Church of the Day. And um, because of that, he ended up having a couple of interviews with King James himself, right? Because right. King James liked a theological argument. And this guy was anti-Trinitarian, right? And um, one of the things he was famous for, and some people say he wasn't the best at theological arguments. I'm not saying that. But if you read about him, they say King James really wasn't the best at it. But he enjoyed it. So if you come up with an opposing view or something, he wanted to talk to you about it, right? It, it's just what yeah. what he was like. That's part of his personality. So <laughs> uh, he's having this interview with this um, this guy, Bartholomew Leggett. And I'm going to quote here. But um, during the interview, Leggett confesses to James that he hasn't prayed for seven years. And James says to him, and I quote, Away, base fellow. It shall never be said that one stayed in my presence that hath never prayed to our Saviour for seven whole years together. And so poor old Bart was ultimately executed, right? Now, he's the last guy, the second last guy. What we're talking about here is not biblical Christianity, okay? But from an outsider's perspective, this would be seen as Christianity run by the state. So now this is 500 years ago. Here comes my point. If Christianity was in such control that they could send someone to be burnt for having anti-Trinitarian uh, views and they had such tight control over the people. For example, in Elizabeth's time, um, you could be charged for not going to church, right? And then you come forward a few hundred years when, you know, the majority of people in the Western culture went to church, right? We all went to church back in the day. How do we get from all of that, and bringing it all together, how do we get from um, a persecution tolerance to state control, to all of us wanting to go to church, to where we are now. How did that happen? In a lot of ways, Christian, Christians and Christian views are now marginalised. We're being pushed to the margins. Yeah. So how do we get from there? How do we? How did? How do we get like this? Yeah. Look, I haven't. I've got to be honest. I haven't got the answer for how we got there because there is a lot of stuff um, that through you know Marxism, Darwinism, Freud, and all that sort of stuff. Secularism. Secularism. Right. Come in. Has right. come in, and there's books and volumes been written on all that i personally probably not so interested in how it happened because i think it's just a reality we're in and we have to face it okay so add to those things so you know even those things are somewhat a couple of hundred years well in the last couple of hundred years but then i would argue and at least in the last 70 or 80 it's the really strong influence of the media because then you have you know with technology okay so we have movies we have radio um, and then now we've got the internet. Mm. And if you look at, um, watch any TV show today, watch any movie today, if there if there's anything about Christianity, Christianity in it, for the most part, it's either ridiculed, or it's sort of on the on the fringes or on the you know on the mar margins. And then all of this other humanist stuff will be in in the in that film or TV show that you're watching. Would yeah. you agree to that? Yeah, I do, I do agree. I think the reality is, however we exactly got here, the reality is we are Christians have become the bad guys. And I read a book by a guy mm -hmm. called Stephen McAlpine, and 
It's a really good, simple book. And he it's called The Bad Guys, How to Live for Jesus in a World That Says You Shouldn't. And his basic premise is that in my parents' generation, so I'm talking my dad was born in the 1930s, 1940s, uh, the Christians in society is, were one of the good guys. As we've said, that most people went to church. If you're a churchman, you're kind of respected and looked up to, even if other people didn't go to church. You were the good guys. You helped people out. You lived well. In my generation, when I went to school in the 70s and 80s, um, we were just one of the guys. It was no big deal if that's what you did on the weekend, right. whatever. Most people, a lot of people didn't. But, you know, kids who went to Sunday school, and that was about it. We were just one of the guys. No big deal. Today, I think the Christians have become the bad guys. It's not just okay that you think how we think, and um, it's actually not acceptable. And we see Christian views being pushed out of uh, mainstream thought and, and media, as you talk about. I think we've, we're seen as being bigoted and the cause of problems, seen as being homophobic and all those sorts of things. And so we've become the, the problem, and people want to eliminate the Christian worldview and sometimes Christians themselves from that um, from from society or from you know having a, any um, voice in society so I think I think that's that really struck with me that we've moved in a, in in say in generation or two from being the good guys respected to just being one of the guys to actually being a problem and I think if the, that may not be how we feel at the local level with our friends and neighbors and whatever mm. but in the media as you say and in the general narrative there's this push that We've become the bad guys. We're part of the problem. We haven't moved with the times. Um, we're oppressive. We're not good for society, you know, in a lot of ways. And right. so we've become the bad guys. And a lot of implications from that. So, you know, we're in education, for example, when I grew up in school, there was scripture teaching in school. And that's, you know, whether that matters or, or not. But now there's no place for anything like that. It's, you know, it's very... And it's not just you can't have it. It's actually... I think society's moved from not just being uh, no God in these places, but anti-God, actually actively against yeah. Christian stuff. Not just yeah. don't have it, but actually be strongly against it and speak against it. Um, so we become. So that's what secular means these days. I think also uh, that Stephen McAlpine used a word secular. I think I don't know whether he made it up, yeah. but our culture is not just secular; it's sexualized. So everything right. is sexualized. Right. And morality is just all over the place. And again, well, well, again, going back to the example of movies, you put a movie on today, and nearly every movie, not that I watch a lot, but if you put a movie on, there was one that my wife and I watched the other day, and the first scene is a sex scene. Like, yeah, it just opened up with that. And I thought, well, I don't know. It's just, bang, there it is straight in your face. Like, you know, in the old days, you might have a, it might be intimated, but now just blatant. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think... Uh, yeah, advertising obviously is just done on a sexual basis. It's just talked about a lot of TikTok and all that stuff. You know, yeah. My teenagers see and hear things that yeah. we just didn't talk about. Yeah. Um, not that you know, and we're not against sex in its right context, no. but um, right. it's just a sexual, it's just everywhere. It's just saturated it, it is. in every sphere of life. And, and then I think there's this other thing that's happening. There's this alternate gospel almost that's being preached so the gospel as christians we believe is the good news that jesus came and we can find forgiveness through and life through him and um, that's the good news jesus of who jesus is he's the lord he's the king he's the savior that's the good news and it's a gospel the christian gospel is meant to be open to everyone 
whoever wants to come, you're welcome to come and find salvation through Christ. But this is another gospel being preached in the media and in the newspapers and on social media. And it's a gospel of come as you are, be who you think you are. Uh, you're, everyone's welcome. Everyone's included. doesn't matter how you live or what you think. It's, you're all welcome. And mm. so they're, it's not preached in churches, or but it, you hear it in narratives in, in movies or you hear it on social media, you hear it in news reports. There's this idea comes out that you just be who you want to be and live how you want to live and everything is acceptable. And so, it's, so it comes across as a welcome. Come, be yourself, mm, right. join in, you find acceptance. And at the same time as they say that, they're saying the actual gospel that was has been the gospel for 2,000 years is restrictive and oppressive and against you. And so there's, a, in a sense, a perversion of the true gospel and an alternate kind of message being presented that right. it's not based around Jesus, just based around be yourself, live how you want to and find acceptance. Right. Now, can I give you a couple of quick examples sure. of what you're talking about there? Uh, one of them is that uh, here in Tasmania, the local Green Party had called our Prime Minister's version of Christianity um, a death cult. Yeah, in Parliament, uh, one of the Green members speaking about the Prime Minister's uh, faith said he was part of a death cult. Now, she was referring specifically to uh, his denomination, um, but just using those provocative terms to say that essentially his his version of Christianity was no good for people. It was dangerous. It was, de- and she had her reasons for saying that. But to, it's just reinforcing that narrative right. that Christianity is bad in this case for the planet and from people. Whereas, whereas the Greens would represent themselves as a come all catch all party, right? Well, and they would say they're good for the planet, and right. good for humanity. So that's in a right. sense almost that example of that alternate gospel that. that um, being presented. So, yeah, those sorts of things happen. Um, that's just a few I've got months a, ago. Uh, uh, yeah, it was. It was recent. And um, just for our um, non-Australian listeners, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you will be now. Um, Tasmania um, is the birthplace of the green political movement in the world. So we're responsible for it here, Dave. I don't know if you knew that, but oh, we Oh, yeah, are. we're pretty early on, yeah. I yeah. do. I've been here most of my life. I <laughs> remember the emergence of that. And not everything they... Frankly, I'm I'm a really balanced person. Not everything they promote is bad. No, well, put your hand up. Who wants the planet destroyed? No, you know what I'm no. saying. It, yeah, so there's a lot. There's a lot. Uh, you know that. Um, but the problem is the these are the issues where you, you just can't say we're open to everybody and then have you know attack. Uh, well, our prime minister's um, view on it's his personal view of religion and then say it's a death cult. That's my opinion. Well, my, yeah, I think this in that point. I'm just we're just making the point that. Um, just generally, it's a, it's become more acceptable to say things like that, and it just points to the narrative that Christianity is are the bad guys. Right, Christians Another... are the bad guys. They're part of something that's not good for society. Right, and it should be put aside. Well, just another quick example. I was reading that um, the state of Victoria they they want to um, uh, drop the Lord's Prayer um, when they open state parliament because they said that it would better reflect our diversity. Right. Um, another one is that I've read it recently where um, people of faith in the future could be threatened with jail for praying with someone about an unwanted same-sex attraction or distress about their inner sense of gender identity. Yeah, I don't right? think that's actually in the future. I think that's currently law in Victoria. I think that's past. Okay, I, all right. I could well, be wrong, but essentially, well, yeah. 
if someone asks you to pray for them because they feel that and they wish they didn't, yeah. and if you did pray for them, then that would be a crime in Victoria, I believe. Okay, present. so let's make that clear that we're talking about the state of Victoria, not, not the whole of Australia. But while we're on this topic, another thing I want to make it clear is that we as Christians, we don't hate people who are homosexual. No. We love them. No. <laughs> and that's if we didn't love them, we wouldn't be Christians. You, you know what I'm trying to say? But we, yeah. get, we get seen as bigots and hateful and that, but that's just not how it is. Mm. Uh, but anyway, that's probably... Probably a topic for another show. I, th- I think just a couple of other things that come to mind. I know, like in over here where we are, or in Australia, there's been just in recent times Margaret Court, one of our famous tennis players from mm, yesteryear, right. most Grand Slams ever. Um, now she has some holds some traditional views about marriage, right? And whatever you think about marriage and about homosexual marriage and whatever, whatever people's views are, she just holds as far as I'm aware, traditional views and has expressed those traditional views. Now, I don't know everything she's said about them or whatever, but when there's been massive calls by famous tennis people to take her name down from stadiums in in Australian Open and cancel her, essentially. Cancel, yeah. Because she holds those traditional views and is not afraid to say that that's what she thinks marriage is. Now, again, regardless of what you think, that is. But one of the leading Victorian politicians stood up around the time of the one of the Australian Opens in the last couple of years and said, there's no place, something like this, there's no place in our society for those bigoted views. Right. Well, right. I mean, it sounds okay. He's trying to protect people. But if you think about someone saying there's no place in our society for those type of bigoted views, if they have been traditional views that not just Christians, but society has held right. for... 2,000, 6,000, however right. many years you want yeah, to think. That's is, been yeah. the general mainstream view. It is. It's not a big jump to say if there's no place in our society for those sort of views. It's not a big jump to say there's no place in our society for people who hold those views or for people who, or for books like the Bible that might encourage those views. So right, right. It's just, I guess the whole thing is, the reality is Christian, I think, and I could be wrong, but Christian views, Christian traditional um, teaching, and Christians themselves are being pushed to the margins mm-hmm. and being cast as the bad guys and uh, coming under pressure. Right. Well, and so that's where that, it comes back to empire. We're living under pressure like they were in the Roman this, Empire. Th- these are good examples. I want to give you one more. Just one more example, Dave, and I think I'll, I'll put a link to this in the show notes because this is very interesting, this one. And it um, Involves uh, people with disabilities. Now, um, most of you listening to this right now wouldn't realise that I'm in a wheelchair. Um, I've been in a wheelchair now for nearly 12 years. But they're thinking of making it illegal. That well, they're making they're making motions towards of making it against the law to pray for someone with a disability, right? So if you think of the scenario, now this has happened to me. Now I'm not saying that I want it to happen to me because I don't see myself as having a disability personally i don't if you see me wheeling around town i'm just a bloke who happened to be wheeling around town in a wheelchair right however if it did happen to me which it has i'm not offended because i get where people are coming from right if people see me and they say you know hey listen you know you know do you mind if i pray for you i know exactly what's going on and and i accept it and it happens personally i don't want it to happen right but it happens and i get it and i'm not going to hold it against them but um, I just read. I just want to read from to you um, from this article. I'll put a link in the show notes, and you can read it for yourself. Uh, they give some examples. They say, for example, she said, a short-statured woman 
could be on a tram reading a book, when she felt someone staring at her. She looks up and smiles, goes on reading. Someone taps her on the shoulder. It's the woman from the tram. She proceeds to say, Jesus loves you. Jesus can heal you. Another example, if a person who uses a wheelchair enters a shop and a member of staff addresses the person as being brave and an inspiration to others and loved by God, I'll be honest with you, I've had that too. I've had it where I've been in a shop and people said, wow, you're brave and inspirational, right? They don't understand, but I understand where they're coming from. I get it. I'm not against it, but they don't understand. I'm just a person wheeling Mm. around in a wheelchair. I'm not, I don't feel brave. Mm. I'm not inspirational, but I understand where they're coming from, okay? So I don't want to say, that's against the law for you saying that. But anyway, let me read this, continue reading this, right? Okay, so they stand in front of the person and they say, I will pray for you. The article goes on to say, I don't want any person with a disability to be on the receiving end of religious beliefs that cause them offence, humiliation, shame or fear. I don't want another person to take their life because of the relentless abuse and cruelty that is too often perpetrated in the name of God's love. Now, there is a lot to be discussed here. But if you think that people caring for others, right, and having care for someone who they see in a worse position is wrong, then I would argue there's something wrong with your thinking because isn't that what we're, isn't that part of human nature? If this comes in, if they bring in this sort of stuff where you can't, can't meet someone, talk to them and offer to pray for them, aren't they stifling personal interaction? Isn't it going to stop all sorts of things? Um, that we just do every day of our life. I was telling you earlier about this guy I met yesterday at the medical centre, right? And because we both had things in common, we're both standing outside the medical centre. I'm on a wheelchair. He's pushing somewhere in a wheelchair. We started up a conversation. Is it going to be in the future that I'm not going to be allowed to have a conversation because I might end up saying something like, mate, people pray for me. Would you like them to pray for you? You know what I mean? It's just, I just can't see how that this is um, acceptable. And if you notice, it's all about Christianity when we know there are other faiths that would have similar or the same sort of views that I'm talking about here, which is care for people that they see less fortunate as themselves. Yeah, I think it's going to be difficult when governments try and legislate how we talk to each other. That's going to make them... It's just difficult to legislate so deeply into private lives and private interactions. I understand there needs to be some protections and I think you always want people to be appropriate in how they approach right. other people. But trying to put that in black and white rules is just going to make for a mess. And invariably, they're going to cut out some normal interactions that are helpful um, in trying to stop the odd, you know, hopefully odd or few times that there's someone is inappropriate and, and offensive. So it's just a minefield and it just does seem to be right. They particularly seem to be targeting any taking any so-called religious approach to anyone, can I pray for you or whatever. I mean, I think in what you just shared, um, you know, there's talking about the fact that someone asked to pray, but for the, the law in Victoria is actually if a person um, says, can you pray for me and you just do what they ask you, then you're you're in trouble for doing what they want you to do. Right. So that's even it's, like, yeah. wow. You're, only, you're not initiating it. No, yeah. They, they're yeah. pleading with you perhaps yeah. to, to pray for them, but then you're not allowed to do that. You know, I understand they're, what they're trying to get at, but boy, that's... Uh, yeah, if you take that to other other reasons, what, what else might they decide you're not allowed to pray for? It's just, it's just examples of the pressure right. and how the empire is imposing itself 
on um, Christian on Christians um, living in our reality, like the empire was imposing itself on Christians in Peter's day. All right. Well, I think we've given a couple of good examples there. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the main point about this discussion with you is really why I invited you to come on is I wanted to talk about how do we live in this empire as believers. Um, I, I think that's going to be, you know, um, more helpful. Yeah, some of the stuff we've talked about could be seen as negative, Dave, but it's reality. Um, but how do we live? What do we, how do we operate in this, under this, I don't want to use the word oppression yet, but it's becoming like that. But let's call it mar- being marginalised. And um... yeah, I think uh, the encouraging thing I, I found is as I got into Peter's letter to the churches back 2,000 years ago, uh, living under the Roman Empire and, and the reality they lived under, was just how relevant what he said was to <laughs> us yeah. you know, in our right. society and how we live slightly on the margins of society. And he said... Yeah, the first thing he said in chapter one of his letter is he really starts off to, he really wants to encourage them to live with hope. No matter what's going on, no matter what they're facing, no matter the pressure they're under, he wants them to live with hope. He says, you know, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's giving us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, into an inheritance that can never fade or perish or spoil, kept in heaven for us. So he really wants them to... Um, understand, keep their mind on the long term, the big picture of what they have, regardless of what's going on, that they have this valuable and special uh, reality as because they're in Christ, because they've come to Christ. He wants them to keep in mind who they are and what they have. They're, they're, they're not at home here. They're kind of foreigners and exiles in home. That's a term he uses throughout his letter to remind them you've kind of, you're here and you're part of it, but this is not where your life is truly based or not your key identity is found in Christ not in living uh, in deeply embedded in this culture but in Christ that's where your primary identity comes and we have a new birth we have a new reality we've been we've been transformed by because we've come to Christ we have a living hope for the future to be honest my father passed away two weeks ago and it's sad that he's not here but I he died with hope because he was a follower of Jesus, and I have a hope to see him again. That when my time comes, I will, um, we will be together with with him and everyone else who has that hope. So we have an inheritance. Peter talks about we have a joy, and therefore we don't we don't quit under pressure, and we don't we keep our mind fixed on that hope we have. So a big part of it, a key thing, when times get tough, when it feels like people are against you, we keep in mind, keep at the front of forefront of our mind. We set. Uh, our minds on the hope we have. He actually says that uh, a bit later on. Set your mind on the hope you have in Christ. It's just a mindset thing is is the first key thing that he talks about. Mm. But he's got a bunch of others. Do you want me to keep going? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> so, and yeah, yeah. he goes on and he talks about how we need to live <laughs> holy lives. He talks about living right. holy. Sounds like when you think of holy, you think of someone who has no fun, who's a party pooper and <laughs> wears a suit and tie yeah. All, yeah, all the time and never smiles. But holiness is actually God's holiness is to do with uh, his transcendence and his awe and his power and particularly his, the fact that he is pure love in you know, all its purity and that kind of burns white hot. His love burns white hot. So when God says be holy just because as I am holy, if we think about God, God can't stand... God stands in contrast to everything that's profane and selfish and destructive and sinful. 
Whereas, because his holiness is completely good and awesome. So he's calling us to live lives that stand in contrast to everything that's selfish and destructive and profane and brings, brings us down and wants us to live in line with our new identity in Christ. And actually doing that, you know, I think about doing that, living that way, living lives of love based on because Christ loved us and based on the love that he's put in our hearts is actually undermines or subverts the empire. It actually lives an alternate way to every to way that the other people are living, and so you know Peter calls on them. He wants them. I love what he says in chapter one and verse thirteen. He says, "Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be revealed to you when Christ is revealed." So it's about having that mindset. I'm going to be self-controlled. I'm going to prepare my mind. I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to set my hope on who Jesus is. And I'm going to live out of that. And because I'm going to live out of that, I'm going to live with love. And I'm going to not conform to the pattern of the world's trying to push me down. My culture's trying to push me down. And it says, live, live as foreigners and exiles. Live lightly. I like that idea of not being too comfortable or too attached, but living lightly. Because we're supposed to be like strangers or aliens yeah. just passing through. Yeah. Um, I think it's like um, living as um, foreigners in a in a in another country is is how it might be seen. Yeah, uh, there's that idea of well, this is not. Or I don't only live for these seventy or eighty years. Right. You know, I think is what he's trying to say. Yeah. It's not the only thing. You're not fully at home here. There's going to be some tension between mm. how people in our cultures are, are living generally, the general yeah. pattern of our culture, and how we're called to live as followers of Jesus. There's going to be some tension. So. We're not fully at home, fully embedded in the way our culture lives. We, we, we're thoughtful. We try and interpret our culture and we think, is this something helpful? And is this something that will lead me towards life in my own life or to follow God's ways? Or is this something I need to stay away from? We, we have to be thoughtful. And Peter really emphasizes the mindset and the um, being alert. He says a number of times in his letter, be alert, be watchful. He wants us to think, basically. Right. Wants to think about culture and well, think about mind, what we're doing. Get your mind ready for action, right? Yeah, yeah. all those sorts of things. So yeah. he wants them to live with hope. He wants them to live these holy, loving lives. And he wants them, you know, this, I love this. He wants them to live as the church. And mm, he says, right. you're a royal priesthood. You're, you're God's temple. You're mm. living stones in a building. Yeah. He wants them to be this alternate community, this visible community, showing what li- what life can be like for like and what God's character is like by the way we live. Well, I, I love that I, idea. But and and I find that this is what I think that you are doing in your church, David. Trying to, yeah. yeah. And and I find that's a very attractive part of your ministry. Um, is that you? you well, you, you say you're trying to, but you know, I, I witness it. But you're putting it into action, and it's something that um, I think that we all need to take on board. Taking these things, you know, I want to use the word deadly serious if i can mm. and putting it into action because um you said it yourself we've only got maybe 70 years at maybe 80 at best i'm not sure something yeah. a bit longer but you know let's just say 70 or 80 years and um you, you've only got that certain amount of time to make the most of your life living for god not just ourselves mm. but living for god and making your mark as some people might say and having that um, positive effect on others because we all know that when we when we depart this 
mortal coil and we pop our clogs, we're not taking anything yeah. with us. I, I love that idea. He says in chapter 2 and mm. verse... Nine, I think, nine or ten. Oh, yeah, nine. He says, but you're a chosen people, a right. royal priesthood, a right. holy nation, a people belonging to God. And he's using Old Testament imagery there. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're a people of God. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And I just, I think part of Peter's strategy for them to live and survive and thrive in that empire reality and the pressure they lived under was to live as the church, be that they need each other. And together, when they live out their life authentically as followers of Jesus, they're on display as a visible contrast to life in the empire. And I think that's part, of, that's part of what God designed the church to be, a visible contrast to how life could be. Right. You know, authentic life together. Yeah. Yes, and yes. Good so point. Good point. you know we might, we can't control the laws and do everything, but we can just be the church and be a healthy church, and that is a subversive act in itself. It and is, it's, and it's a compelling act. And you know we've found in our little church that, particularly you know since the whole COVID thing and more mm. uncertainties and um, things around that, when we were, came back together and we were allowed to gather together, we actually found more people come. They wanted community. They wanted connection. They mm. wanted, um, they, they perhaps came back to faith that they'd abandoned when life was easier. Right, right. They wanted these foundations for their life. And so um, I think a key part of, you know, when life feels uncertain, perhaps when the empire or pressure's coming on, whether it's social pressure or fear or whatever, just being the church, being an authentic church is a powerful thing to do. And that's part of what Peter calls them to, live with hope. Live these holy lives of love and, and being mentally prepared and all that and live as the church. It doesn't matter why I said what laws the government makes or whatever. Well, you know, mostly you can still, who you are on the inside and, and what you have in Christ, they can't take they that can't from They can't take you. that from yeah. you. Um, well, I was going to ask you, can we move, can, can, well, not move on to, but can I ask you, how do we, you know, we know that, I, I want to talk about this whole submission to authority yeah, thing yeah. because I, I know I've heard you talk about it before. Yeah. Can you expand on that a little bit? Because that's what people are going to be thinking. They're going to be thinking, well, how do I now, as a, as a believer, how do I respond to the, say, some of these laws that might come in that I don't agree with? You know, yeah. you know what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, it's a difficult, what do we do? It's a difficult area. I think, so we live as a church, we live with hope. That all sounds fine. But what do you do when the rubber hits the road? Right. And you've got a right. facing a situation. Well, Peter goes on to talk about that in the end of chapter two. He talks about submitting to authorities. But I think a key... The key strategy, in a sense, is in verse 7, he says, show proper respect to everyone. And I think that's our key thing. We live with hope, we live holy lives, we live as a church, and we show proper respect to everyone. So, And he says, submit to authority. And I think that is meant to be our default position as followers of Jesus, that right. we, wherever we can, we submit to authority. We recognize that authorities are meant to be there for our good and um, to punish evil and wrong behavior and so we do we submit to them as far as possible and i think i think there does come a time and i think it's hinted at in the in the text as well because he says it's god's will but by doing good you should silence the ignorance of people and you should the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong commend those who do right so inherently in that passage in verse 14 he's saying these authorities are there to punish people who do evil and um, protect those who do right. 
Um, but what if, and it just the what if, what if the government's actually promoting what's evil and mm, that's right, uh, condemning what's right? What right. do we do then? Yes, you know that's a dif- different situation. So, a person, my personal opinion is that these passages here and in Romans thirteen as well, where Paul talks about the authorities being there for your good. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's inherent um, assumption that that the governments are operating at least on those basic principles of um, of being there for the good even to if it's good. even if it's authoritarian right, yeah. not to be not to promote evil uh, if they're promoting evil then or promoting something that's going to cause you to compromise your christian faith the core of your christian faith well but i think <laughs> i think the the principle is submit we should submit to authority as far as possible you know, and sometimes that might where that line is is going to perhaps be require some wisdom and some different opinions about that. Yeah, but that's as true. far as possible, we and it, we should pro- show proper respect for everyone. That's the key principle. Yeah, and we submit to authority as far as possible. But it does it's going to have to come a point, or there does come a point. Now, what the point might be for you, and maybe we might differ on. But you know, what do I just raised the question with my church? What do we do if they did say that you can't read the Bible anymore? You can't have a Bible. Well, is that a rule? Is that a line too far? Mm. Or you know, well, yeah. yeah so, so we've got to have to. Well, that's right. We're yeah. going to have to say, well, I can't submit to that one. Perhaps that's right. You know, yeah. Or what? What? Where are the lines? So mm. I think, you know, you can No one's going to make a little rule book, but I think we have to think about it. And we have to pray about it and we have to talk about it together as Christian people. And we have to try and submit as far as possible, even further than we'd like sometimes. But there does come points, I think. Well, or, there, or there will come points. Yeah. Well, it seems like. Yeah, it will. And, I, you know, I don't want to be sound too negative, but it's only six and seven hundred years ago that people went to the fire for their beliefs, right? Yeah. Uh, and. Some of them were Christian beliefs, some weren't. Yeah. I'll just point that out. Yeah. And I'm hoping that we don't have to see that again. Yeah. But, but I'm just saying, it's yeah. only it's only five or six hundred years ago that, yeah, yeah. That, that these things happened. Yeah, so right. we have to have these in our mind as, as negative as it might sound. We need to be thinking about these sort of things. And if it does come to, your example is a good one. Um, if they say ban the Bible, then we're going to have to do what other churches have already, you know, th- yeah. that have done and have to do it um well, I'm going to disobey that one. I'm going to tell you right now. You, you've got me, right? Yeah. I'm doing it. I'm going to keep reading my Bible. So, yeah. I mean, but you look at the, the church in China. They're persecuted right now. Mm. And they had to go underground. And they have to have secret meetings. They're doing it right now as we speak. So, you know, I keep saying, oh, 500 years ago. But, you know, we've got brothers and sisters in Asia yeah. um, that are going through this now under really, really, really oppressive Yeah, regimes. and I think so, for a lot of us, particularly here in Australia, and I'm sure in other places, we're not used to that. No, oh, and we don't no. want that, and I don't want it. No, I'm not. Look, I'm hope hope it never happens. Yeah, but we just have. to... I'm very comfortable, thank you, Dave. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. But we just have to face that reality that things are tracking that way more than they used to be. Put it that way, and we have to think through what that might mean for us. Right, and yeah. we have to think through not just accept everything that's thrown at us. We have to yeah think and interpret and interpret in light of God's word. And I think in this case. Peter's guidelines. I think they're really helpful. They, they are good. Yeah, if you got yeah, yeah, more yeah, yeah. So he goes on. He talks about yeah, showing proper respect to everyone. I think that's really helpful when, yeah, you know, I think particularly in the culture of uh, 
yeah, social media abuse and the online and insult and that. So we are allowed to critique and we're allowed to give our opinion and we should right. do that. But we do it in Jesus' way. We do it with love. We, we Grace and truth go together. We don't insult or abuse for the sake of it, as hard as that is at times. But we try and respond to people in Jesus' way. We show proper respect to everyone. We stand up for what's right, but our interactions uh, are done Jesus' way. So, yeah, we we live with hope. We live holy lives. We live as a church. We show proper respect to everyone and submit as far as possible and love one another. And we bless others. You know, but he goes on to say, when you're insulted or when you're cursed, bless back. And that's kind of speaking into Jesus' uh, own teaching. You know, Peter's, Peter obviously heard Jesus teach a lot because he hung around with him for those three years. And he's just reflecting the Jesus way. We bring blessing, not cursing on people. And we respect people. And we show love as our default default mode. So, And then he goes on. I love, love this verse in chapter 4. He talks about um, bearing Jesus' name well. When, when it goes tough, when you are persecuted unfairly or harassed or pressured into something, he says... Well, when you're powerless, essentially, he uses the examples of slaves and other um, people in, in powerless positions in the Roman Empire. And he says, follow Jesus' example. Because Jesus, when he was insulted, didn't hurl insults back. When he was mistreated, he didn't retaliate. And he says, when sometimes we will be in powerless situations. You know, governments are powerful, uh, or yeah, media can be powerful. Social media can be powerful if it turns against you. Very. <laughs> but... We follow Jesus' example, you know, and we live Jesus' way. That's our default position. But he says, and it fits in with that, he says in chapter 4 of uh, his letter, I think it's maybe like verse, I can't seem to find that, but I think it's, he says, praise God if you have to suffer for him and bear his Jesus' name well. Bear right. Jesus' name well. I love okay. the idea of bearing Jesus' name right. well. Yes. And to me it goes back to, even back to the, uh, you know, some of your listeners are probably familiar with the Ten Commandments and this strange command, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. And there's been a lot of a scholarship done recently on this. What does that mean? Does that just mean you can't say God's name like, oh my God, which we don't do that. That's not right to say that. But that's not really what that com- the heart of that command. The heart of that command is don't misrepresent. Don't take his name in vain. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it on for yourself and not live up to it. And so... Peter also says that same thing. Um, when you have to suffer, bear, give thanks that you bear Jesus' name well. So part of our strategy of living in the empire is just saying, I'm going to bear Jesus' name well. I'm going to be a good representative of Jesus. And something I've heard you say, <clears throat> talk, just think about social media, if you're responding to something or whatever, I've heard you say that critique and abuse aren't the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's okay to state your case. I think mm. it's good to be thoughtful and say... But abusing is different. Yeah. And, you know, again, where are the lines in this thing? I think we're all smart enough to work that out. I think we know when we're abusing and, or being and, angry and, for the sake of it and, and when we're actually just trying to be thoughtful. It's a good point. And um, being uh, good representatives of, uh, well, being ambassadors for Christ, I'll just give you this example. You're probably, you're probably going to go there. But in um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Keep your behaviour excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Yeah. An example of that I was reading about recently is um, Martin Isles, 
Is he? I think he's the former head of the ACL Australian Christian Lobby. I think he's current. Current. Yeah. Okay. Well, when he was on that um, the Q and A show, right. I, I was reading some reviews about that. Now he responded because it was a pretty heavy duty show. Apparently, the Q and A show really is a very sort of from the left of centre, and they will bring on conservative or Christian people on there. And in some ways, for me, my point of view, it's like a setup. Let's put someone up there yeah. and let's 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 give it to them, you know. Yeah. But the way he handled himself is he actually got applause and support from right. non-believers because of the way he handled himself. Yeah. So they didn't they didn't necessarily agree with what he was saying. Yeah. But he got applause and he was, you know, and I think that that there is a real life example yeah. of what we're, what Peter's talking about and what you and I are talking about. Yeah, yeah. If that happened, that, that is a, that sounds like a great example of just yeah. bearing, representing Jesus right. well, which we should do in all of our lives, not, of course. Know, not just on social, social media. media. That's part of our goal to follow, represent Podcast well. shows. Yeah, yeah. All that sort of stuff. Like Flint Radio. And you, you brought up a great verse. I, I, right. I should have brought I, that up I knew before. you were going to go there, yeah. Uh, 1 Peter 2 verse 12 in this version of the Bible I've right. got, I love this it says this is a great strategy live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us again right. actually Peter's tapping into Jesus if you go to Matthew five sixteen, Jesus says let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds right. praise your father in heaven but part of his strategy here is well we have to live in this Reality, you have to live in the changing um, laws and changing perceptions of Christianity, but just live such good lives that they've got no mud to throw at you. Apart right. from the only thing they can accuse you of is being associated with Jesus. Right. And I really like that I, idea. Yeah. Live, Great live in such a way that the only thing they can accuse you of is being associated with Jesus. All the other stuff, mud won't stick because it's, because you've got you're not living. They can't say, oh, you're a cranky old, old so-and-so. Or, or you, you call me this, you, you call, call me, me a name. This. No, just live such good, loving lives, Jesus-type lives, that they actually haven't got any mud, to sl- truthful mud, to sling at you. And so a lot of his, I would say that's almost an umbrella statement. Mm. In, in, if I was going to pick a theme for or a summary of how to live in the empire, Peter's advice, apart from holding on to your hope in Christ, I'd say that plus this, live such good lives among the people Mm-hmm. That they have got no mud to sling at you, apart from the fact that you're associated with Jesus, even though they might try and they might want to live such good lives. You know, I'm, I'm almost going to say to you, Dave, we could wrap it up there because that's a perfect way to end it. Not that I'm not enjoying this. <laughs> um, so, is there anything you more you wanted to add? Yeah, I like the way Peter finishes his letter in chapter five. Um, another strategy which. I just would say is to walk humbly before God and with okay. one another, like so. We live with hope, we live holy lives, we live as the church, we respect everyone, we bear Jesus' name well, we bless others, and we live such good lives, and we walk humbly. And it, it's just like he's wrapping up his letter, and he turns his attention to the people, and you know, Peter's an older man, he had 30 years or so after Jesus has lived, and if you know anything about Peter in the Gospels, he was the guy that put his foot in the mouth, his mouth all the time, pulled out his sword, <laughs> chopped an ear off, always getting in trouble. But this is the gentle Peter. This is the older, more mature shepherd. And he calls, he says to the elders and the older people among you and to everyone, shepherd one another, love God's people. Be examples. I love that idea of right. just be examples to younger people. Uh, and when the chief shepherd, Jesus comes, you will receive a reward. And then he goes on to say that he's really... Cool things. Clothe all of you. Clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. Now, 
you know, imagine if we actually all did that. In the church, first of all, clothed ourselves in humility. Not my needs, my thoughts, my preferences, but actually what what's the most benefit for other people? And imagine if we did that in society, for goodness sake. Rather than pushing my own agenda, we actually thought about um, other people. So clothe yourselves in humility. And then he says these great words. So therefore, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Because God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble and God will lift you up in due time so humble yourself you know I've got GK I really think I say this all the time in my church I've never prayed I remember years ago never going to pray Lord humble me that's a dangerous prayer because what he might have to do to humble me I might not like okay Dave Mm -hmm. I was thinking that just two nights ago when I was praying I was going to say that and I went whoa if I say that one I could be asking yeah yeah, that's true (laughs) I heard someone say that when I was like 20 years old, I've never right, forgotten. Right. And I say it all the time. Because in Scripture, it's actually something for us to do. It says, humble yourself right, before the Lord. Right, yes. James says it. Peter says yeah. it. So it's on us to humble ourselves, yeah. to, to submit ourselves. Right. If you pray for God to humble you, watch out. Yeah. But humble yourself before yes. the Lord, and he'll lift you up. Yes. Because it's from that posture of submission to, and surrender and putting God um, in his rightful place and us bringing our lives under him. That's the position of strength to live from. Humble ourselves before the Lord. And then the next verse is beautiful. He says this, and this is probably a good place to finish. Peter says, this old guy, Peter, who's known, lived with Jesus, um, been spent 30 years in, in the church after Jesus has um, returned and the spirits come, and he's just shepherd. He's, you can feel his heart for these people. And he says this, to these people who are pressured, remember, under pressure and anxious perhaps, Push to the margins of their society. Chapter 1 Peter 5 verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him, on God, because he cares for you. It's a beautiful thought Perfect. that we can actually yeah. cast all of our anxiety, all of our fears, all of the what's going to happen. Just mm. cast it. Now, I'm not much of a fisherman, but I've done a little bit. I know <laughs> a cast isn't just a drop the line in the over the jetty edge. Right. A cast is you just throw that thing, hurl that thing with energy and as far as you can. You just offload it. Hook it out there. You offload <laughs> it. And so we can actually do that. And right. the, you know, the Psalms are beautiful for this, how to offload our fears and our anxieties and so much anxiety in the world these days, you know, and in our lives. We can just cast it under God because he cares for us. It's a beautiful thought. No matter what pressure we're living under, whatever, that we can do that. And, you know, Peter just encourages them to do that that, they, that God cares for them and that they can do that it's a beautiful thing good place good place to stop well <clears throat> Dave thanks for coming onto the show thanks for coming away humble, humble little studio here in Tasmania and um, uh, will you come back again we get another topic come sure. back again happy to alright alright well we'll leave it there Dave thanks for coming on to Like Flint Radio well I hope you enjoyed this discussion To see the show notes for this episode, go to our website where you can find links to articles mentioned during this show. If you want to write to me, send an email to mail at lightflintradio.com or gkflint at lightflintradio.com. Either one will work. For all of our previous Light Flint episodes and Philosopher Rock shows and a History of the King James Bible podcast, just go to our website, lightflintradio.com. That's lightflintradio.com. That's it for now. Until next time, God bless. And hooroo. And hooroo. And hooroo.